This is Anthony Pascal. And this is Lori Elster, and this is the All Access Star Trek podcast. As a lot of Star Trek fans know, there was some very big movie news, something actually definitive. So that is going to be our big topic, and then we're going to make you wait for it a little bit by covering what's going on with the TV shows first, starting with Emmy nominations. It's that time of year again. Hooray! So in total, the Star Trek universe, there's two shows uh, this year that were up for not potential nominations, which is Discovery and Lower Decks. Combined, they got five. They're all in the technical categories or what they lovingly call the creative arts categories, which means these are the awards that aren't presented on the CBS telecast version. These are the ones that are on the FX telecast show. Yeah, and they're also not listed with all those websites that say full list of Emmy nominees. And they don't include those. <laughs> you know, the, you know, so it's all stuff that we've seen before, outstanding period, uh, you know, our character makeup, both prosthetic and non-prosthetic, sound editing, and visual effects is kind of the, probably the biggest one that was for Discovery. For Lower Decks, uh, they were nominated for sound editing. And, you know, all that stuff's good. You know, Discovery got four nominations for season two. Picard got five for season one. Um, So it's kind of all in line. It's kind of in line with Star Trek history with, you know, DS9 and Voyager and all the years. Uh, But, you you know, every year, like Lucy and the football, CBS and Paramount go out there and they do the (laughs) campaign and they, you know, they shoot for the big ones. They shoot for, you know, best shows and best writer and best you know, all the stuff, production design, a lot of which, you know, some of which you might consider a stretch, but a lot of which I don't consider a stretch. Production design, I think yeah. they could have been in there for sure. Score was one. I really thought Russo had a shot. I mean, he's already won one Emmy, two Emmys, I forget, but you know, he is a serious guy. I thought Discovery Season 3 had a great score. What did you think? Yeah, no, I totally agree. But he got he did get a nomination. It just wasn't for Star Trek. Um, but I also think, you know, costumes, I have to say, like, I, I'm i not a fan of the uniforms, which is a huge, huge part of Star Trek. But I do think that that Gersha Phillips' other costumes are fantastic and creative and amazing. I just don't like the uniforms. So I would have given her one for all the other outfits and costumes she had to do. And she, you know, they did so much in season three. And she yes. won the... Canadian Costumers Guild Awards, a bunch of them, should have been in the zone for that one as well. Yeah, I think so. I would have given it to them. Yeah, you know, but even going back to last year with Patrick Stewart and acting, and there is a thing I feel like Star Trek does have a stigma. Now, it's not a genre stigma because stigma, because we're now seeing the Academy really lean into a lot. I mean, Game of Thrones obviously did very well um, over the years, but the number one nominated show this year was The Mandalorian, which was tied with The Crown, which is crazy. It had 24 nominations. There were some categories where it was nominated like four out of five. Yep. (laughs) And something we're going to get into later, but WandaVision got 23 nominations. So Disney Plus just racked up a huge... I feel like... If you know, Disney Plus is a very high-profile streaming service, The Handmaid's Tale did very well as well. That's on Hulu, but Paramount Plus really didn't do that well this year. Four or five out of six of the nominations they got That's were it. Star Trek. <laughs> you know, so uh, none of their other original programming. There was a the Stephen Colbert animated news thing, which actually is a good show. By the tuning way. out the news, right? Yeah, I think Paramount Plus would have gotten more if the Good Fight had been on, but it was down for a long time. I personally think that's the best written show on TV right now. Star Trek is still bringing in most of the nominations for Paramount Plus, but I'm sure overall they're going. Wow, you know, <laughs> we'd like to get more than six. Maybe next year, because there's going to be a lot more original programming coming. Maybe we'll finally break the stigma. I mean, I still think they need to give Patrick Stewart one for Chain of Command. You know, it's only The fair. retro one. Yeah, he deserves it for that. Speaking of Lower Decks, the biggest news was the release of not a trailer, but a clip on social media. A short clip. To just remind fans that it's coming in a month, which is August 12th. What did you think of the clip? 
I was just happy to see Boimler and Mariner back together. And I was annoyed that they were driving what looked like the little dune buggy from Nemesis. <laughs> I'm not sure it was that. Well, it reminded me of that. So let's set the scene. The scene is inside a space station. May or may not be an alien space station. Hard to tell. Don't know. Because all the signage was in alien except for one sign, which was called the Lucky Ferenki. It was obviously an homage to the Blues Brothers movie, right? Because it's a chase scene being chased by cops inside an essentially shopping mall. So that was kind of funny. <laughs> Just one of the greatest chase scenes in movie history. Yeah, I, but not as much destruction. Maybe there's more destruction later. But they did crash through a window, which was the lucky Ferengi, ironically. I thought it was fun. It was cool to see them back together again. And, you know, we did an analysis on the site where we, you know, we do our thing where we look way too closely. And if you notice, they're wearing dress uniforms for some reason. Um, But Boimler's an ensign. So, you know, in theory, this could be a flashback, but. No. A reasonable assumption is this is sometime during season two. Probably not the premiere because we know he starts off on the Titan as a Lieutenant JG, so he gets demoted, yep. obviously. Which he'll be very upset about. Of course. And likely sent back to the Cerritos, which we expect, because yes. you, know, you need to get everyone back together. Something will obviously happen. I think he's going to get overwhelmed on the Titan. I mean, unless it's his choice, which seems unlikely. That's not very Boimlery. But this gets to like a bigger question, of you know, because we saw Mariner get demoted promoted in the demoted back to ensign the show is about ensigns it's about lower deckers if this thing runs five seasons seven seasons who knows well harry kim was an ensign for seven years poor guy <laughs> he had moments they would have like alternate timelines where he got promoted and then they'd revert everything back and then he was an ensign again so and they did it for the same reason they did it because they needed someone to be the new guy the kid the whatever even though he wasn't a kid well, they had a reason on that show in that they didn't have, you know, they, they can't rotate crew in and out of the ship, right? So there's no, they're not bringing in anyone else from the Academy to become an instant so he can get promoted. Right. Even though some other people got promoted on the show, obviously. Yes. Tom Paris got promoted. Yep. I think Tuvok got promoted at some point. They could either turn it into a running gag or just deal with it. You know, this, this, because you know, they obviously the whole point is to keep these people as lower deckers as kind of the bottom of the ship because it's animated i mean it's like the simpsons right like bart is still the same age that he's been for 30 seasons or whatever <laughs> so <laughs> that's you know i think it'll i think it'll work yeah and i i'm not too worried about that no you know i trust mike I, he knows what he's doing but Obviously, they wanted to reset him back to an ensign. And so and this is the second time they've done it. So it kind of says maybe this is a pattern. We'll see. Yep. Poor Rutherford was literally reset. <laughs> he I doesn't know. remember everything for he's the last the, year. He's the one I'm very curious about. <laughs> Check out our analysis article on the site because there's some other fun Easter eggs in there. You know, you could spot data in a weird way. And there's a call out to the books which is cool the vanguard books and and the fish people the antedians <laughs> so there's one more bit of lower decks news it's not really lower decks but it's about jerry o'connell who is the voice of ransom on lower decks he is joining the talk as a permanent co-host replacing uh the disgraced sharon osborne who said <laughs> bad things and she's gone <laughs> but he's stepping in which is interesting isn't it it's all women right isn't everyone on that show a woman who hosts? Yeah. I mean, that's the CBS version of ABC's The View with Whoopi Goldberg. Right. So now both The View and uh, The Talk. Are representing. That's right. Star Trek. I love it. But anyway, good for him. That's like a nice, everybody likes a nice steady gig. And that'll be an interesting, I mean, I don't watch those shows, but I feel like that would, that's a, an interesting group dynamic to change and it's it's a five day a week show i mean that's a lot of you know that's a big commitment i don't know how many weeks off they take but that's kind of his life now essentially yeah. well it's a you steady know. gig 
Everybody likes a steady gig. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure there's still time for him to go to the recording booth and do his ransom. Kind of a fun thing. So on his first day, which was Wednesday this week, the only guest they had was Sonico Martin-Green. Oh. So there was some kind of Star Trek love between the two of them for his, his big first day. That's nice. There should be Star Trek love on every show. All right. I think that's it for Lower Decks. Now we got a little bit of news on Picard from Jonathan Frakes, who said he was talking about finishing directing some episodes and that he directed two with John Delancey in them and that he knows nothing about who else is supposed to be on it. (laughs) But he did say, because, okay, so a few weeks ago, because we've been keeping track of John Delancey on Cameo, John Delancey said, I have a scene coming up with Data. Right. So he has since used the word Brent instead, but in one time he said data. And with all the kind of time weirdness going on with season two of Picard, it's entirely plausible that Spiner would be playing a version of data. However, I don't I'm not sure if he meant this on purpose, but when Frakes was talking about the show, he says um, that uh, Brent Spiner who played Data is back in another role. Right. And I mean, I don't know if it was clarifying because I don't know that he's been watching John Delancey's cameos. <laughs> <laughs> well, he follows us on, you know, he follows us on Twitter. He, he, he responded to your tweet, you know, your Robert Justman thing this week. He, yeah. He and Rick Berman both did. That was, that was cool. Yeah. So they, 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 they know what's going on. Frakes is, Frakes is in the loop on who else is, leaking like he used to leak all the time <laughs> right he's maybe he's happy someone else is finally doing it but ha- he must be mad that he doesn't get in trouble <laughs> <laughs> so now he didn't say what role we expect it's the same role that brent's played in season one um which is the you know the uh, yet another dr soon yeah so so that's clarified but john delancey is out there talking more he's talked about shooting multiple scenes with brent so it isn't just one he said that he's doing an important scene this week he's talked about how q is different this season and uh, here's a quote that he talks about specifically and i you know i liked how he said he says i must say it's not the sort of puckish mercutio of old which is he's referring to because he's a highfalutin guy (laughs) juilliard he's referring to shakespearean characters that kind of um you know famously like impish playful prankstery kind of manipulating kind of people which is interesting because you know he's talked about how important humor is to the character that he injected that to the character but he says it's what they wanted and i think it makes sense so he says it's different this time. So it sounds like, you know, Q started serious, right? In in the first episode he was in, in 1987. He made him more playful. Now it sounds like they're dialing him back again for Picard, which is a more serious show to begin with. So it's yeah. not, it's, it's expected, but it doesn't sound like he's fighting, you know, because on Picard, on TNG, he had to kind of fight for the fun. Now, it's he seems to be cool with it being a little bit less fun even though the clip they showed in the trailer there was an element of fun well he's been saying all along like i'm tormenting him you know he's definitely having some fun i think what he's trying to say is it's not quite so dialed up it sounds like he's dialing it down just a little bit which makes sense given the tone of the show he can't come in you know with the mariachi band or fall naked from the ceiling or anything like that exactly All right, so let's move on to Star Trek Discovery, because there's been some hubbub as of late um, with Sonequa Martin-Green has been giving interviews. Well, so she's been around giving interviews to promote Space Jam 2, which she's in, and she's actually in L.A. for the premiere and press, so she's not in Toronto filming right now, which has to slow things down because it'll take a while for her to quarantine when she gets back. But she's been doing a lot of interviews and a whole bunch of clips are going out because the season three uh, Blu-ray DVD is coming on July 20th. And so they're happy to have her talking about (laughs) Discovery, too, because they're making a big push for it. So she's been talking about um, last season and taking the captain's chair and what it means. She kind of makes the point this was always the plan, but that she feels like one thing that differentiates Captain Burnham 
from the other captains is that they spend three seasons getting her there, which she calls kind of earned. Not not that the other captains don't earn their roles, but she says that that that's kind of a differentiator that she appreciates that she didn't start off as a captain, even though she knew when they hired her that she was going to eventually be Captain Burnham as the star of a Star Trek show. Although I'm curious whether Brian Fuller would have agreed with that, because I think I'm not sure he necessarily ever wanted her to be captain. I'd love to ask him that question. Maybe one day you'll get to. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know how sustainable it is to have the star of your show be the first officer indefinitely. We always knew it was going to happen. You know, they weren't going to do it in the last episode. But if the show ran seven seasons, it's kind of half and half, right? Yeah. I think it was certainly the right time. She does say that what she sees as a common denominator with all Star Trek captains is what she calls sacrificial leadership. And I'm just curious if that factors somehow into season four, if she's just speaking generically did you pick up anything on that i mean it to me it sounds specific only because every member of the crew is pretty willing to do that that's not unique to captains that's true there is a moment of the teaser which kind of shows her alone on the ship it feels like there's something that she does where the ship gets emptied out i think it's lost pressure because she's in the spacesuit and she's on the bridge alone so i think there's some kind of sacrifice moment, although, you know, we're kind of assuming she makes it. You think? Are you sure? <laughs> <laughs> it is interesting that she's in L.A. I mean, it's she's probably contractually obligated to promote Space Jam, um, including doing the red carpet. But that definitely means that she's not shooting, which probably means they're not doing anything with her this week. Some of it also depends on the quarantine rules. But I did just hear this, that that um, Robert Duncan McNeil isn't going to any conventions this year at all. Anything outside of Canada, I guess. But they said his, his wife said no conventions at all because he's working on a show in Canada and they don't want to risk letting him go because the bottom line when you come back in, even if they ease restrictions, is that it's up to the person that you in, that's at the border. And it's going to be that person's discretion. So the production company that he's working for is not willing to take that chance. Now, specifically to the season three Blu-ray, you'll want to check out a special clip we have. We got an exclusive clip that was a deleted scene from the episode Terra Firma Part One. So check that out on the site. You know, it's not a big deal, but it's kind of a nice little scene with Michael and Dr. Culber, and they're talking about the planet where they're going to be sending Giorgio. There's, there's also, you know, so it's kind of a thing of where Hughes talking about how he's trying to take care of Giorgio and she's refusing. And it's, you know, it's, it's a good little moment. And what they did technically though, because when I, when you watch it the first time you go, some of this you've heard before, but it wasn't in this scene. They took the dialogue from the scene what Culber says, the exposition part where he talks about Dennis for, and they inserted it into a later scene. Huh? This was a little creative editing to save them. You know, I guess they figured, why do we need two um, scenes talking about this planet? But we do lose this kind of moment where he's talking about Giorgio. Right. Anyway, check that out on the site. Now, next week, look for a review. Matt Wright, who does our great reviews of all the home media releases, that'll be up on the site. And uh, we've got some copies of the Blu-rays to give away, along with some Discovery hats. Uh, so on, on the 20th, which is Tuesday, we're going to be running a contest. So come to trekmovie.com and try to get yourself a free copy. And Matt's reviews are always very thorough. They're always really well written and cover pretty much any question you'd have. So come here for that for sure. Absolutely. Strange new worlds. We don't have any news on. Nothing new has popped up, except that we're still excited about it. Anson Mount said that Star Trek Four was his favorite movie. Oh, that's true. There you go. His favorite Star Trek movie. Yeah. So not his favorite movie of all time. <laughs> so that confer- confirms that they're going back to the eighties, right? For season one. That's a oh, confirmation. Yeah, totally. yeah, no, hundred percent. It's a guarantee. <laughs> Now, we have something that may seem just like a regular piece of merchandising news, but this is actually very big news, which is Playmates Toys has 
acquired a new license for Star Trek with Viacom CBS Consumer Products for all of Star Trek. And you may be familiar with the name because Playmates was the company for Star Trek all through the 90s. Um, you know, they ran commercials on TV. They made playsets for Next Generation, the original series, Voyager, Deep Space Nine, uh, Star Trek Generations, I think maybe some of the other TNG movies. Um, they had the license from 1992 to 1999, and they made tons. You know, you know if you went to Toys R Us, you bought Playmates Star Trek toys for sure. So did they make all those action figures that I have? Yeah, almost certainly they did. If you have something from the 90s, Playmates was it. And what this means is, and and this was pointed out in the press release, is Viacom CBS are seeing Star Trek Prodigy as an opportunity to get back into what they're calling the, quote, kids space. And even though this license is going to cover everything, Prodigy is the wedge for them to get back into it. Prodigy comes, you know, Prodigy was mentioned multiple times in the press release. So we're probably going to see a a lot of Prodigy toys. I can't wait actually for the characters from Prodigy to be like that. I'm not, I don't buy a lot, you know, I'm trying not to accumulate more stuff generally, but that might be something I have to have. And I do have a big box of action figures from the nineties. When we posted it, I noticed like some fans were just posting pictures of their own personal Playmates collections as a response to just show how important Playmates was to them in the 90s because so many fans are kind of children of the 90s. Well, it's, it's also nice to have affordable stuff instead of all. I don't need like I can't get collector stuff. I can't be out there buying some $300 giant thing, but a nice, you know, $8 action figure. It's awesome. Well, I'm not sure they're going to be eight dollars. I know, I'm, yeah, those are they, '90s they, prices. <laughs> <laughs> but they're going to be affordable. Um, they, they do they make they make a lot of quality products. The sculpts are pretty good. They did release a teaser image of a few figures that weren't prodigy. Well, first of all, it's hard to tell what they were because they're they're kind of distorted. They're being beamed up, so you're mostly seeing the beam effect, but you can kind of look through the beam effect to see what they're doing. And the figures all are from the new shows. So it's Picard from Picard. It's data from Picard. It's kind of like it's data in his TNG outfit, but we expect it, you know, it's kind of tied to Picard because he appeared in season one. There's a Saru, there's a Michael Burnham, there's a Captain Pike and um, a bearded Spock. So this seemed to be all like season two discovery outfits because the Michael and the Saru looked like they were in their old uniform, not their new Starfleet uniform. I mean, I suspect eventually you're going to see just like you did, you know, with the original playmates, you know, you'll have figures in multiple outfits, but they're they're probably going to do TOS figures, TNG figures. I I suspect they're going to go back and do some of those as well. I'm very excited about it because I just, yeah, like you, I'm, I'm excited to see things affordable. I'm excited to see kids playing with Star Trek stuff. So hopefully there'll be role play stuff and vehicles and play sets and, you know, the whole thing, because this is, you know, we, you know, report on new licensees all the time. But yeah. Like you said, there's this, the collector stuff like EXO company that's making these great, you know, collectible figures, but like you said, they're over $100 each. And we did a report recently, Playmobil, who's a big toy company, is doing a Star Trek toy, but it's $500. It's this right. giant enterprise, you know, and it's kind of cool, but it's $500. You know? yeah, so it's really, it looks really cool, but it's $500. And that's, you know, I don't, that's not realistic for most people, certainly not for yeah. me. But the idea of just being able to, uh, like a little book action figure or something fun. And, you know, the old ones, the Playmates old ones, they also had uh, sort of guest aliens and guest people, too, sometimes. So that was fun if someone was notable. And then the famous, didn't they did a threshold one with the lizard babies. They did. They did. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, it'll be, and they're going to do lower deck stuff, too. You know, so there's yeah. a lot of opportunities here. They can get creative and have some fun with it. So that's, it's more playful and less collectory. So that's nice. Don't keep them in the boxes, people. Take them out. Have some fun. Right. Yeah. Or you could buy two if you want to be one of those. Sure. There's nothing wrong with being one of, people like to display them in their boxes, but, you know, get some out and play with them. So even though Prodigy starts in 2021, 
this isn't going to come until 2020. The first releases, we don't know what's going to come first, is going to be in 2022. So nothing for Christmas 2021, unfortunately. Hmm. Although that $500 Playmobil thing comes out in September. So, you know, you could buy Lori and I one. I was going to say, I'll try to put it in your Christmas stocking. (laughs) It's not going to fit. It's like three or four feet long or whatever. It's huge. It better be for $500. (laughs) Exactly. There's a couple other side note type star trek stories of the week yeah there's a a fun one where uh, william shatner decided to get behind lavar burton as the permanent jeopardy host which i thought was lovely and generous and and right it is the right thing to do (laughs) but he said he can do it he's very intelligent he's very motivated but i like that he's that he's getting involved in that and casting his vote for whatever good that'll do Hey, it's, you know, getting an endorsement from William Shatner is just everything you need in life, really. Agreed. Now, it's, it happens to be Shark Week, and because Shatner is somehow part of everything in the universe, he's involved <laughs> in Shark Week. There's uh, uh, an episode, one of the things they're doing this week is called Shark Trek, and it's kind of very Trek-ish. So if you have Discovery Plus or the Discovery Channel, look for Shark Trek. And you'll find uh, William Shatner doing crazy stuff with swimming, literally swimming with sharks. Yeah. And uh, Christine on our team saw it and was raving about it. She said it's great and well worth watching. The other Trek related thing this week is there was one of those online panels done by GalaxyCon. A fan asked a question of the panel of actors from Deep Space Nine, you know, if any of the current Star Trek shows that we've been talking about that any of them would like to guest star on. Now, you know, actor saying they want work, News at 11, right? You know, yeah. No big deal. But Terry Farrell said something. She said it as a joke, kind of, but also serious, where she said, sure, yeah, I'd like to do it. But she said, just to be alive again would be fun. <laughs> and then she and Armin kind of had a back and forth about doing your best work after you're dead. So she was serious about it. And you know, the reason why I think it's significant, of course, is because... They did kill off her character at the end of season six after kind of an ugly situation. So she seems now open to the idea of returning to Star Trek in some fashion, even though her last experience working on Star Trek was bad. Yeah, I'm I'm still not over her being killed off. I got to be honest. She left because she wanted more flexible hours. She didn't want to do all 26 episodes or whatever there were in the final season and Basically, Rick Berman said, take it or leave it. And she left it. Well, and just to, like other actors were told they could. So Cole Meany was doing a ton of things. Not a problem. Anybody else who kind of wanted to do other things. It was not a problem. That show was jam packed with characters. And they definitely could have accommodated and chose not to. And apparently were quite condescending about her level of importance to the show. If you watch the great documentary, What We Left Behind, I mean, you know, she's still emotional about it. She literally cries in the documentary talking about it. So the fact that she could kind of laugh about it and say, yeah, I'd like to do it. So I think it'd be great to see her again. And and there's a million ways you could bring back Jadzia Dax, especially being a trill. But there's other ways you could do it as well. So I think it'd be fun. And in a way, I mean, Jadzia Dax is also a bit of a transgender icon in a way right yeah she has described the character as trans i think well because she was various genders various ages i mean such i i honestly i think we got ripped off by having i mean nothing against nicole DeBoer, who i think did a great job as esri but i loved jadzia dax that was a great character she deserved better could definitely explore those like sometimes i'm a man and sometimes i'm a woman which she did talk about um, in a sort of very fun, light, casual way on Deep Space Nine. Her character would be like, oh, when I was a man and blah, 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 blah. So I think there's a lot of opportunity there. And of course, in Star Trek, there's always a way to do it. I would be super excited about that. Nicole DeBoer was a part of the same panel. She said it would be fun to do. So, you know, you can get two Daxes for yes. one. I mean, we were kind of hoping, or maybe it was just me, <laughs> that uh, Star Trek Discovery Season 3, we knew that they were going to have Trill. You were sure and, they were going to have a Dax. You were convinced. Well, I, yeah, I was, yeah, yeah, yeah. I was, I, I, I made the wrong call on that one. Well, I, I mean. Well, I'm not saying it to show that you're wrong. I'm just saying, like, 
you wanted you wanted a Dax and you were pretty sure they were going to do it. And it seemed like a, a good place for them to go. There's nothing saying that you can't run into the latest version of Dax and maybe that Dax can somehow have a memory of Judzia Dax. It, it can be done. Um, there'd have to be a good reason to do it on the show. Um, it shouldn't just be gratuitous, but I could see them doing it on Discovery in the far future. And, you know, they could do it on Picard for some reason. They could do it anywhere. <laughs> sure. They could, you know, well, I, I'm not. I wouldn't want them to do it on Lower Decks, to be perfectly honest, because it's too important in a way. I'm sure they could come up with a way, maybe a, flat, a holodeck program, maybe. I don't know. But someone who's on the same panel, uh, Armin Shimmerman, would, said that if he did come back, he'd prefer to come back on the animated show because he doesn't want to put on all the makeup. <laughs> sure. That was hours and hours and hours. I get it. Quark on Lower Decks would be fantastic. I think that's a great opportunity. So let's talk about the big news of the week, which is that we finally have more specific information about a Star Trek movie. Like it's really happening. I mean, we knew that a Star Trek movie was happening because in April, Paramount did something they haven't done since 2016, which is they put an untitled Star Trek movie on their release schedule. And that I mean, people don't understand how significant that is, but that's important. That's a commitment. I mean, it's not you know things change all the time, but it's very different than just hiring a writer and putting something in development. So they had something which was called a top secret project for June ninth, twenty twenty three, and now we're learning more about that. And basically, it looks like a lot of work has been going on in the last year, which is why they were calling it top secret. So this. I think people are misunderstanding that this project isn't starting now. This project has been going on for a while. The script is written or at least a draft. Yeah. It said the script, the script is done or, you know, good start. They've got a plan to start production. They just hired a director. Right. Which is usually the last step of the development process. The script was probably done by April when they put it on the schedule and they felt it was good enough for them to commit. So let's talk about some of the people involved. That's what I think we should do. The director they hired is a guy named Matt Shackman, who you probably haven't heard of. Maybe you have. (laughs) Um, If you're a fan of WandaVision, you've probably seen his name because he directed every episode. He's an executive producer and the director for WandaVision. So he saw that show entirely through from beginning to end and was nominated for a DGA award and just nominated for an Emmy for that. So he's definitely well-regarded and definitely familiar with the Marvel way of doing things. And he's done a ton of TV, including like big high profile stuff like Game of Thrones, which is I can't be that different from doing a movie. I gotta say, <laughs> like it's, it's yeah, that's a lot like. of location shooting. It's a lot of yeah. effects. It's it's ex- very expensive. Big in scope, yeah. He he's only done he's done one feature film like seven years ago. It was a kind of a low budget um, Coen Brothers kind of movie with mixed reviews. Um, he did work with some high profile people on it. It was like John Malkovich, Liam Hemsworth, which is your budget Hemsworth, Billy Bob Thornton. But his, you know, his, his most high profile stuff has been since then. And certainly WandaVision. And he's kind of become a bit of a hot property. And, you know, as it was reported in deadline, it was, uh, they referred to it as a coup for Emma Watts, who's the new head of Paramount motion pictures to get him on board. And he had a lot of offers from other studios other projects and he chose star trek so it shows that he even though we don't really know like i mean maybe he's a super fan maybe not but for whatever reason he said yeah i want to do this project yeah yes he had a bunch of choices and that's what he picked so i like that and also i was looking back at his his imdb and i saw a lot of good um character centric stuff that he directed that i really like um things like grace and frankie the good wife and house that he's directed and those are very focused on characters and not effects. And uh, that gives me a little bit of hope that he actually knows how to work with actors 
well. Well, he started as an actor. He was a child right. actor, actually. Yeah. Well. <laughs> I mean, like, go way back. He was on Webster and Growing Pain. So he, you know, he knows he's one of, he's one of the, you know, child actors who made it out of child acting and uh, into a successful career. It's kind of a Ron Howard-ish um, in that way. Uh, he, you know, the way he has a high profile now is a little, ironically, a little like J.J. after Lost, right? Where... JJ kind of became very hot and then Paramount brought him in to do Mission Impossible 3 and then he ended up doing Star Trek and Star Wars and you know now he's JJ Abrams um who's all producing the movie by the way there's a script written by a couple people who again you probably haven't heard of them but you've probably heard of their work at least for one of them so one of them there's two women uh Geneva Robertson uh Dwarit uh, she did the latest Tomb Raider movie, and she wrote or co-wrote the 2019 Captain Marvel movie. They're bringing in some Marvel folks, some people with Marvel experience. She's got a co-writer on this uh, named Lindsay Beer. She doesn't have as extensive uh, a career. Um, she's a little bit younger. I think um, she was probably put together with Geneva by Emma Watts because they've also been put together for another Paramount project, which is one of the G.I. Joe movies uh, they've got coming out because they're extending the G.I. Joe universe of movies. She's also working on a reboot of Short Circuit. Remember that <laughs> sci-fi movie? She's doing a Pet Cemetery prequel. Yeah, see, none of that fills me with hope. I'm going to be honest. None of those credits make me think... Great. I'm so glad these people are right. I mean, I'm hoping they're great. And I like that it's uh, women for a change, although we know the other movie that's on tap also has a female writer. Um, but these aren't great. I mean, I thought Captain Marvel was OK, but none of those other ones kind of grabbed me as like, oh, we're going to get some great character moments, which is the thing I particularly care about. But uh, maybe this is the thing they've been dying to do, and it's going to be fantastic. I certainly hope so. Yeah, I think what's interesting is that two out of three are attached to high-profile Marvel projects, and it's obvious that Emma Watts wants to bring a little Marvel into Star Trek. Now, we don't know exactly what that means yet, but you know, whether they're looking for a connected universe situation or not. Or, or Marvel money. <laughs> yeah, they're probably more interested in the Marvel money. Yeah. Definitely. Now, one thing we don't know, speaking of Connected Universe, is exactly how does this movie, um, it's, you know, untitled movie, there's no plot details, there's no cast details, um, but we do know, that there's rumblings that it's associated with the Kelvin cast. Which is, you know, it brings us back to our money question, too. So we've all been talking about this at Trek Movie. Like, what is is the good money move to bring in the stars as characters that we know will work because it's worked before? Or is that spending a lot of money trying to recreate something that didn't make what they wanted it to make and they're going to invest in a new cast and, in, you know, new actors? So we don't know which way it's going to go. This gets kind of to a bigger thing that's happened since 2016 or even before that, right? Because so after Into Darkness came out, which made a lot of money, uh, Paramount basically said, let's make two more of these Star Trek movies. So they signed everyone to two movie deals, maybe three movie deals. I'm not sure, but they were definitely going to make two more. So they were, you know, they put forward Beyond for 2016 and commissioned a script for a follow-up that was going to include... Chris Hemsworth coming back um, and, you know, people were all getting raises and that was going to be the next movie. Um, and they continued down that path until 2019 when, because they didn't make as much money off the 2016 movie beyond Paramount couldn't make it work. And one of the problems with movies is they're like a Jenga tower and you know, to, to make happen, you know, you need to make the money happen to get the investors interested, which means you need the right cast. And basically they couldn't get the financing for that movie done unless they got Hemsworth and Pine, but Hemsworth and Pine didn't want to take the pay cuts, but if they're out, then the money people are out and it all fell apart basically. And that's where things were a couple of years ago, essentially, even though that movie was, you know, they had hired a director for that movie. It was getting pretty close. Yeah. That's when Paramount said, well, let's make something smaller. They brought in Noah Hawley. Uh, he, he he basically said, 
you know, I'm going to bring an entirely new crew. So he wasn't going to work with the Kelvin people because they couldn't afford them, obviously. And it was less action oriented. And, you know, as, as Noah Hawley has said, you know, that movie was as of a year ago, very close to production. You know, he yeah. had a script written, he was casting or just about to start what he called major casting, uh, but it was going to be new characters. And then Emma Watts came in and stopped it. Went yoink. And that was that. This is going to like half of stuff that's been reporting, half speculation on my part. Basically, she came in. I don't think this was just a, this isn't my project. I'm going to stop it. She came in and she's like, Star Trek is a big property. Why are we lowballing here? Let's make a big Star Trek movie. And th- I think that's why she stopped it. I think she, I think that she's risk averse in a way, you know, that she feels like this should be something bigger and why take a risk on something entirely new, which is why I think she initially gravitated towards bringing back the Chris Hemsworth project. I think for whatever reason that didn't happen. I mean, the writers were already working on something else, right? They are now on the big Lord of the Rings project with um, Amazon. Right. Hemsworth, Hemsworth said he kind of wasn't that into it to begin with. Pine, I think is, you know, as long as the number's right, he's talked about how he very much wants to do another Star Trek movie. All these people love each other. You know, Hemsworth was there for a few weeks, you know, many years ago before he was such a big star. He doesn't have a big attachment to doing another one of these movies. No, but but the rest of them do. They loved being together. And they want, I mean, I, I personally don't want Hemsworth in it. Nothing against Hemsworth. But I, that character, actually, I'm not interested. So after she took a look at that, you know, she's put this project together basically in secret with JJ probably last fall. Right. So this has been going on for a while, but I feel like, yeah, she probably said, let's bring back the people we know instead of trying to introduce the world to a whole new crew. Now, the question is what happens if they can't get everyone they need? Does this project die? It just seems crazy that they would put it on the schedule and have it all be based, you know, and have it. It's so tenuously tied to whether, you know, Chris Pine agrees to the money deal. And it's not like they're short of cash anymore like they were back in the old days. You know, a lot of things have changed. Viacom, CBS have been combined. Paramount Plus has launched, which makes movies very important to Paramount movies need to feed into the streaming service. The whole company is now focused on streaming. You know, the, the Quiet Place Part 2 just showed up on Paramount Plus. You know, they, they think that movies are a big deal. So they, the, the Paramount studio needs to be feeding content out to the streaming service. I think that, I think that it's different. You know, pe- yes, we've had five years of stops and starts. And, and, and a lot of fans, I think, are saying, oh, this is just another, you know, who, who knows if this is going to happen. I think it's going to happen, but the question is what it's going to be. Right. And I just want to, you know, I didn't mention the Quentin Tarantino thing because you have to look at the kind of mothership project, which was always going to be the Hemsworth Star Trek four. Then that died. Then the Holly project came up Then that was stopped. But I think that was stopped because it wasn't ambitious enough by the new person who put this project together. The Tarantino project was always something off to the side that was never going to be the next big Star Trek movie. That was, you know, Quentin Tarantino told J.J. Abrams he has this idea at a cocktail party and he's like, go ahead and write, you know, have someone write it up. And if he agreed to direct it, they would have made that movie. There's no doubt about it. But it would have never been the next. It would always have been kind of like the Joker, just part of the universe, but not the big next Star Trek movie. That was always going to be an extra thing off the side. It would have been Quentin Tarantino Star Trek versus Star Trek Star Trek. Right, but it was, I think people kind of think, oh, they've tried this one and then they tried the Tarantino and that that was always a, a bonus movie. This, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah, so yeah. So this, this is now the third attempt to follow up Beyond. Although the second one, the Holly one, was not going to be a Kelvin movie. It was still going to be kind of the next tent ish movie, although it was going to be smaller. So I think that she's... At, you know, probably would prefer the Calvin crew, but then, you know, I imagine, you know, they'll go forward regardless with trying to make a tentpole Star Trek movie. 
You know, I mean, as the fans were obsessed about this Kelvin thing, I don't think Emma Watts really cares. <laughs> you know, I think she just wants to make a big Star Trek movie for 2023, June 2023, by the way. So this is. Yeah, they have a we're, date. We're now less than two years, right? It's 23 months away. Yep. Um, which, which tells, I mean, they should have figured, I, I, who knows what they're releasing. It's I, my feeling is sort of that if it was going to have our crew back, they would have announced that. That's the thing that's holding me back is that they would have wanted to. And they didn't announce anything. People need to kind of back up. There's a difference between something showing up in the trades and an announcement. So Paramount hasn't announced anything. They are not confirming anything. I have tried. This is all, you know, even though it's real, I mean, it's in all the trades, it's all happening, but there's a difference between when Paramount announces something. Last time Paramount announced something was they said in April, we're making a movie. It's top secret. It's coming in 2023. At some point, I agree with you. They are going to say this came out because they hired a director, right? And that kind of, you know, in Hollywood, you can't stop that from getting out, basically. It's already on his IMDb. That was fast. At some point, I think Paramount, it, when they can say, yeah, Chris Pine is back, they are going to say it. And I think that that, you know, is coming or they will announce something else. We're not going to get anything, you know, major about this probably until the big Star Trek convention in April of 2022, right? Because that's... In Chicago, that, the official, right, yeah. Right, this convention next month is unofficial i don't see paramount doing anything at new york comic con maybe on star trek day in september i think possibly i mean this gets to doubt is how well are the different parts of paramount working well with each other right because star trek day has kind of been controlled by the cbs side and alex kurtzman's and the star trek universe people um so hopefully they can start working well with the paramount people and they could maybe get something out on Star Trek day, maybe announce cast members or something like that. That would be in September that, you know, that's my fingers crossed, but supposedly they're going to start shooting in spring of 2022. So if, you know, we'll know more before mission Star Trek in Chicago for sure, because they have to hire actors and that, that always gets out to the trades. Oh yeah. And stuff will come out during pre-production. You know, you hire a, director of photography and you know yada 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 so but so tony what is your just in terms of your preference and hope do you want the kelvin crew back i've said this before yeah absolutely i still feel like they haven't had their five-year mission moment even though beyond was kind of during the the five-year mission kirk was still kind of strangely reluctant to be captain he was talking about leaving the ship i just i just you know, they're going to be on a new ship. They're going to be out on their X year mission, even though it's been five years yeah, since that been movie. been a lot of years. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like there's still an, at least one more movie in them. And I think if they're smart, they'll do, they'll do another movie with them that helps set up a more expanded Star Trek universe. Maybe somehow figure out how to get things back into the prime universe. I don't think they need to fix the Kelvin universe to reset things, but I don't know. Maybe there's some movie magic where they work all that out. I mean, that is, you know, that is the thing I'm hopefully people involved in this kind of know how this all works together because Alex Kurtzman and Bob Orsi really figured out something clever with that first Star Trek movie. How they, it was tied to the prime universe, but its own universe that was, kind of a clever trick they pulled off where it wasn't a complete reboot, um, but it allowed them the freedom to create this separate universe. That's the thing is, is the creative freedom is important. I mean, I don't love every choice they made, but I do think that was a clever, a really clever idea and a fascinating one. So there are ways, there are definitely ways to do it. And I, I love that cast. I love them. I do want to see them back. I did feel like beyond was setting up the next mission. Like now we're going forward and we're all in, right? Is is that was the tone at the end? Like we're definitely committed. We're all in. We work together. We are a team. Let's go. And no more conflict between the characters and that not trusting each other because there's some pretty serious 
conflict going on in those other movies between them. So I think they were ready to go. I think Beyond was my favorite of the three by far. Um, and I was very hopeful for another one. I mean, when you do a new movie, if it's a new Star Trek movie with a new cast, and you're going to have to spend so much time yeah. origin storing everything, like yeah. explaining who the crew is, explaining the ship, explaining the mission, all of that you don't need to do again. And we know that audiences liked these movies to an extent. Um, they did make money. The last one just didn't make as much as it needed to because they spent too much on it and they marketed it poorly. And we can get into all the yeah, issues like, with that. Don't get me started on the marketing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I would like to see the Calvin movies continue and set up an expanded and possibly connected movie universe. But, you know, it, that's not like drop dead it's got to be that for me most mostly i just want to have a great characters and an exciting movie in theaters in two years that's all i care about and and have it have it be a great movie and a great star trek movie yeah which i think to the 2009 movie was i i definitely think the beyond was had elements of both I don't want to get into into darkness. There's a lot I like about this movie, that movie, and there's a lot I hate about it. It's kind of a, it's definitely a love hate relationship. Yeah, I mean, I mostly didn't like it, but, <laughs> um, although you know, the first time I saw it, I still was excited and enjoyed it, even though, you know, when I thought about it or saw it again, I was like, yeah, whatever. But anyway, I I it performed well, so audiences liked it, which I think is what Paramount cares about. And they look at the numbers as much as they look at that kind of stuff. So, you know, we get so obsessed with how everything fits together. Um, I just want the movie to fit together, you know. So if they want to reboot the universe again, which Marvel and DC, you know, if you compare those to the, their source materials, they often are making differences. So now their movies fit together. So if they want to start a new Star Trek universe of movies... I'm okay with that, but you know, as long as it still feels like Star Trek and is has compelling characters. I mean, it was interesting a few months ago. Alex Kurtzman kind of said you can't have movies and TV be different, and certainly Disney is moving away from that in a big way with both Marvel and Star Wars, right? So, yeah, I'm not sure they're going to start yet another Star Trek universe. <laughs> Unless they figure out, unless they decide to start another Star Trek universe on, which they could do. They could just say, this is universe three. And because we have to think this is starting in 2023, Picard's going to be wrapping up. Discovery may be wrapping up somewhat. They could, you know, so the TV shows that start coming in 2025 and beyond could all be part of some new Star Trek universe. Let's not, you know, I'm not saying please do that. But I'm saying that could be done and potentially could be done well um, to just start from scratch on both the TV and the movie side. I'm not sure, you know, I mean, the, you know, obviously Strange New Worlds would only be in its second or third year. So there there would be complications with doing that for sure. Yeah. I know some fans are screaming at their whatever you're do listening to your podcast <laughs> on. You know? <laughs> not another universe. Tony, what are you talking about? Yeah. It's a lot to absorb. <laughs> you know, I, I want the movies and, and, you know, the TV shows to fit together. It would be great. And they don't now, even though we did see a mention of the Kelvin universe in discovery season three, obviously, but right? obviously before Kelvin, there was, it was always, it was the same people and the, you know, it was all tied in. So that was a you big, know, in the nineties. Yes. In the nineties, it was all one universe, but it but they didn't do a good job of tying the movies to the television shows. You know, what was, you know, what was the enterprise doing during, during the dominion war? You know, I mean, it's just, yes, it was all one universe, but I don't feel like they, they certainly didn't do it as well as Marvel is doing now with everything, the way they're tied together. So yeah, nominally they were all in the prime universe, but sure. The doctor shows up on the enterprise E you know, that's as close as you get to to everything tying together, right? Is a is a fun scene with the doctor. Right. Um, well, I want to I want to see something more integrated, you know, but then you run it. I mean, you run into the same problem because if you look at DC, DC kind of 
flubbed out of the gate trying to build a universe and they spent more time trying to build their universe than trying to make good movies. So some of the recent DC movies, and in a way, when they stopped trying so hard, they started working better, you know, with Shazam and with the Joker. So, you know, maybe fitting together isn't all that what it's cracked up to be. You know, maybe you could just do a series of Star Trek movies that aren't all tied together, you know, and well, maybe that would work. But I, I, I tend to prefer them to, you know, to be connected. Well, here's what I was trying to say, though. So every Star Trek movie so far has familiar characters, either the exact actors playing the same characters from the show with the original series movies and Next Generation movies, or this rebooted version, but all familiar new actors, but familiar characters who are making a concentrated effort, most of them, to echo the original actors who played those roles. Like Carl Urban was channeling DeForest Kelly. Chris Pine was definitely, there was, there were Shatner, lots of Shatner. And I don't mean like the way people think of Shatner now, but Shatner in his prime, you know, I think they all connected to those characters. And so the question is, can you have a Star Trek movie that has characters we don't know? Well, that was what Noah Hawley was going to do. And again, right. this is why I kind of think that Emma Watts was like, this is a little risky. No one's ever heard of these pair, you know, you know, Captain Smith and, you know, Ensign, whatever. And no, you know, no one knows who these people are. There's a little bit of risk in that. But then, so, I mean, you can look at it different ways, right? Like to me, okay, I'm not head of a movie studio. So I'm just going to tell everybody that right now. But you could also look at it and say, well, if it captured what Star Trek is, like maybe part of the reasons non-Star Trek fans don't go is because they feel like they have to know who everybody is. And so if he had a movie that wasn't spending as much on effects and blowing out a budget that way, and then had new characters that anybody could walk into, to me, that's not necessarily the super risky shot. Yeah. I mean, the way when we um, had Jeff Russo on the show and he was working with Noah Hawley as the composer on that it sounded to me the way he described it as a bit like Rogue One. It was some kind of important gap in Star Trek history. It would fit into the universe, but it was something new, filling a gap, but new characters. So if you look at Rogue One, although there were a handful of familiar characters like Mon Mothma, and, but it was mostly focused on brand new characters, all of whom die at the end. Sorry, spoiler alert. I do. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, so I think, you know, that can, that definitely can work, but there is a, you know, there's a risk to that, especially with Star Trek. Is but wouldn't you say there's also a huge risk to paying crap loads of money for giant effects and a whole bunch of actors who cost a lot of money? Like, that's also a risk. It's a different kind, it's a different kind of risk. That's why Beyond didn't have a sequel right away is because they spent too much money on it and it didn't make the returns they, they wanted. And certainly because they had to ratchet up the money again, it just didn't make sense anymore. So yeah, yeah, absolutely. Right. If there is a, there is a dollar figure and we don't know what it is where it stops making sense. Right. And so I'm not saying pay them anything they want to get another Kelvin movie. And, 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 and I'm not saying spend $300 million or even, I still think a Star Trek movie should not get into a $200 million budget. And so I'm, I'm a little worried that Emma wants is like, I want Marvel money. I'm going to spend Marvel money. And th right. And think that that's going to do it. Right. And think I, we're going to make a billion dollars. I, two years from now, I could be eating my hat but I do not think a Star Trek movie can make a billion dollars worldwide unless they come up with some international gimmick because the problem's always international. They do pretty well domestically, but to get a billion dollars, you need to rack up money in every market, including the Asia and Latin America and Europe. And there's some markets that Star Trek is limited. I mean, JJ, they got it to at least 50-50, but that's not good enough anymore. No, and that to me, that's a reason to go smaller. And, you know, I look at Beyond and I don't know exactly why it didn't make money. I mean, I do think the marketing was terrible, but it also just had a crap villain. <laughs> so, which, you know, has been a problem. And he was kind of famous in the UK, but you couldn't tell who he was until you like the last scene of the movie. He's a famous, good looking man. 
and they covered him up with stuff and they didn't, they made it like, what's the secret? What's the story? And then when you found out what it was, it was nothing. It was, it didn't make any sense and it wasn't compelling. So to me, that's problematic too, because I'm sure people saw it and were like, well, it looked great, but it had good scenes, but who knows? I mean, there are a lot of different reasons that these things happen. So uh, to me, there's risk in, in, it's not necessarily the automatically riskier choice. The Noah Holly one to me, I'm not Emma Watts, isn't automatically risky. But you're right. It depends on what her goals are. And if her goals are giant tentpole blockbuster, then that's a different thing. Hopefully their appetite is in the right zone of block, you know, because tentpole is a fuzzy term. Like, are they looking to make the same amount of money as the G.I. Joe movies? Right. Which are, you know, they're Hasbro Paramount movies. They, you know, they obviously make good money because they're, you know, releasing one this summer and they're working on even more of those. Okay, I didn't even know there were G.I. Joe movies. Just saying. Yeah. Well, there's there's (laughs) there's an extensive G.I. Joe Hasbro universe of stuff with more coming from Paramount. Totally unaware. I know Marvel, I know Star Wars, I know a lot of things. I know there's all, you know, there are lots of ones I don't watch, but. That's the thing of where does Star Trek live in, you know, the universe of franchises and. Well, she wants it to be Marvel. Well, I just think there is a space below that that's sustainable if they, if they do it right. And that's what I'm hoping they do. I think what she wanted perhaps to avoid is to go too low. Right. Yep. And you know, Noah Hawley talked about that, that there's kind of this weird thing where you can't make a small movie anymore. Yeah. Um, you can, well, but you can do it for streaming. And there's something we haven't mentioned yet, which is the Kalinda Vasquez project, which was announced in March. And some people are like, oh, well, that sounds like it must be on the back burner now. No, <laughs> it's it's because they never announced the writers for this movie who brought who were probably brought in last fall. The Vasquez is a recent project. It's an original ideas for, I would not be surprised if that's a Paramount Plus exclusive project, or at least possibly for Paramount Plus exclusively. Um, But that's another Star Trek project. So they are going to be doing multiple Star Trek movies, which is the thing everyone's doing. That is probably going to be a smaller Star Trek movie, is my guess. Um, This is their big thing. That can be their smaller, medium-sized thing. And let's face it, the movie industry is at a very critical and interesting time right now with streaming and movies and what comes out in a theater and what comes out on streaming. And right now things are coming out at the same time. And then there are movies that are losing money at the box office. It's it's a complicated new world to navigate. And who knows how things will have changed in a year, in two years. We'll see what happens when we all come out of this. I mean, we're not done with our weird new pandemic life still. I think, but what makes this different and why I think, this shouldn't just be dismissed like the Tarantino project, which I always thought was kind of a flight of fancy and unlikely to happen unless he agreed to direct it, which I always thought he was never going to do because he, you know, he was only going to direct one more movie. And now it seems like he may not even do that, but he was never going to make a Star Trek movie, his last movie. So, you know, forget that. The reasons why the Hemsworth thing fell apart were were 2019 problems that don't exist anymore. Right. The reason why the No Holly Project, or 2018 problems, really, with Paramount. The reason the No Holly Project fell apart was because they wanted something better, right? They thought it wasn't good enough. Right. Well, they thought it wasn't big enough. Big enough, the right angle, you know, too risky. And the new person, yeah, there is an element of her wanting to put her badge up, but Things are now, you know, what's different now is it has the backing of the head of the studio. I think, by the way, if this doesn't work, she's in big trouble because this is her, you know, she stopped something and created her own thing. So this is now she owns this, you know. And so if she and and it's it's been said that it was a priority for her to get Star Trek right. So if she screws up the Star Trek franchise for Paramount, unless she's got a lot of other successes under her belt in a couple of years, she's definitely going to be She's well, you know, who knows, but if, if she's fully committed to it, then, and it's on, it's on the schedule. This is different. 
Um, the No Holly thing was never on the schedule. The Chris Hemsworth thing was never on the schedule, even though it was officially announced in 2016 and everything. So this is different. I'm not saying it's 100%, but people are saying, I'm not going to believe it until they start rolling cameras. Sure, movies really don't exist until you start production, which is why she stopped the No Holly thing right before production. Because once you start production, you're burning money at a huge rate. It's like you can't stop it, even though it has happened in the past. But that's kind of the last moment you could stop a project. But I think this one of all the things we've heard in the last five years, and we've heard a lot, this is the most likely thing to happen. Yes, it's possible it'll fall apart, but I feel confident this is going to happen. I'm still not sure I'm going to love it, but we've got a lot of time between now and then we've got 23 months to learn. Right. And yep. so I'm just excited that it's happening. Yes. As am I. Yeah, I'm not ready to like, oh, you know, Marvel people or another JJ movie. You know, there's all these like, people just ease or we've heard this all before. It's like, come on, people. It's Star Trek. And the whole I mean, what is the fundamental thing about Star Trek? Optimism. Let's get some optimism out there, people. Let's have some hope for the future of the Star Trek franchise. And let's give some goodwill to these people until, you know, we hear something that's problematic. I haven't heard anything that's problematic yet. So... I'm excited. Onward and upward. Exactly. Yeah. And this is not the end of the conversation on that movie. Right. But it is for now. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Let's move on to our favorite little Star Trek bits from the week. All right. What you got? Mine is very small, but something we put up last weekend, which I just thought was funny, um, which was a extremely short film. It was a recreation of Kirk's Wrath of Khan scream. May from Star Trek two made in claymation. <laughs> and so, you know, go to the site or look in the show notes and check it out. It was, it was put together by a channel called dust, which is available on various platforms. And they do lots of, of their own original low budget sci-fi things, a lot of really creative stuff. And this is kind of a pr promotion for them to celebrate their five year anniversary. Now, another reason why I wanted to mention this is it just kind of a personal fanboy moment I had, which is after we posted the article and I, you know, we checked out on Twitter, I noticed it was retweeted by John. It's, you know, you see the little thing on Twitter and it says retweeted by John Cusack. And I'm like, that can't be the John Cusack. I'm like, that just must be a John Cusack. But no, it was him. His 1.7 million followers, the, you know, I'm a child of the eighties. I love John Cusack. Yeah. I, I love I, him too. Know, I, I wanted to be John Cusack when I was a kid. And, and I wanted to be with John Cusack. <laughs> I didn't know he was a Star Trek fan. I didn't know he kept track of trekmovie.com stuff, but you know, cause he retweeted it like within minutes of the article going up. So that's like, funny. Wow. So what's your bit of the week? Mine is also a funny little Twitter thing that just made me laugh, um, which is someone had tweeted that her daughter wanted to cosplay Tilly at Destination Star Trek, but couldn't afford the disco uniforms because they're really expensive. And even joked, I just don't love her enough to spend that kind of money. So <laughs> Noah Aberback-Katz, who's Mary Wiseman's husband, tweets, makes his suggestion, which is to recreate this iconic Tilly cosplay by her brother, Kevin. So Mary Wiseman's brother, Kevin, for under $50. And it's basically just him in a disco t-shirt with a red wig, which is actually the wig from the, a costume for the movie Brave the main character from Brave. <laughs> so it's a wig for that because he has links to where to buy the shirt and where to buy the wig. <laughs> and it's just so hilarious. I love that it's her brother and we'll just post a link to it. It just It's dumb and small, but it gave me a chuckle. So. Budget cosplay. Exactly. So that's it for another week of All Access Star Trek. We'll be back on July 23rd with the episode covering the news of the week up until Comic-Con. Next week's episode of All Access Star Trek is going to come out hours before the Comic-Con at Home panel for Lower Decks and Prodigy. So that actually won't be discussed until our July 30th episode. But we oh. will have all the news for... Go ahead. No, I was going to say exactly what you're going to say. We'll have a lot of the news. It'll be all on the site. And we'll be uh, on social also. And thanks for listening. All right. See you next time. <laughs>